Welcome to Trash Compactor. I'm Josh. And, you know, one of the things that's special about Star Wars is the way it inspires others to create and add to the universe, be it making artwork or writing fan fiction. And today we're going to be discussing a very specific form of inspired art, that of the fan film. For those not familiar, Wikipedia has a pretty comprehensive definition of what a fan film is. A fan film is a film or video inspired by a film, TV program, comic, book, or video game created by fans rather than by the source's copyright holders or creators. Fan filmmakers have traditionally been amateurs, but some of the more notable films have actually been produced by professional filmmakers as film school class projects or as demonstration reels. Fan films vary tremendously in quality as well as in length from short faux teaser trailers for non-existent motion pictures to full-length motion pictures, end quote. Fan films have been with Star Wars since pretty much the beginning with the infamous Hardware Wars, a parody film that came out in 1978. But in the late 90s and early 2000s, right around the time that technology allowed George Lucas to make his prequel films, that very same technology fueled an explosion of fan filmmaking. And it's this period that we're going to be dealing with today. And joining me to partake in that discussion is the person who ran the Force.net fan films during the initial explosion of fan filmmaking from 2000 to 2005-ish. Is that correct, Jeff? That is correct. So this was before YouTube, before it was so so easy to get a video on the internet. So it's not like you could just make a video and put it up for all the world to see. And the Force.net fan film served as a platform to get films seen by people. So I'm very pleased to welcome Jeff, who ran the Force.net fan films to Trash Compactor. Hello, Jeff. Hello, Josh. Thanks for having me. So first off, was there anything that I just said that was inaccurate or that you uh, would like to set straight about that period of fan filmmaking? Yeah, so um, just to, you're absolutely correct. Hardware Wars was the uh, the, the grandfather of, of all the fan films. Um, and it really was, and I got I think 97 when uh, Troops and we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about that here, but that's that was really the resurgence of fan films and really got a, a lot of people involved, especially in um, in the Southern California area. And I think really led to the research, you know, that that time period being so special for so many Star Wars fans. No, absolutely. And uh, for, for those unfamiliar, Troops was a Star Wars mashup with the show Cops with like a a dash of Fargo, I want to say, given the accents of the troopers, but it was following a couple of stormtroopers around and they investigate um, a domestic dispute and it's between Uncle Owen and Aunt Peru. And it was just a really well done, very funny parody fan film that, yeah, I think you're right. I think that that's sort of the, if Hardware Wars is the granddaddy of Star Wars fan films, it's, it's certainly like the godfather of that second wave of fan filmmaking in the 90s and 2000s. Yeah, and that's re- and that's really what got me back into it. I, I was in the middle of the uh, Saudi Arabian desert, and I'm re- here. I'm now reading about you know people doing Star Wars films, and they're from Southern California. And, you know that's where I grew up at, and uh, you know they're they're doing all this. You make you know doing co- you know making cops parody you know troops, and so it, that's really it inspired me to and you know for for actually for a couple years um, be- before I got out, and then. Um, you know, once I got out, I'm like, Hey, I want, I want to be involved with that somehow. Um, but you know, you know, the joke is that, you know, everybody in Southern California is an actor or, you know, director or something like that. And it just so happened. I did have a lot of friends that were involved with Hollywood in some way, um, with my first job that got out when, after I got out of the military. So it was pretty easy for me to slide into that, um, into that role and, and just, 
get involved with the fan film community. Um, the fledgling obviously was fledgling at that time, but just get involved and then try to initially I tried, I wanted to do a film and then I found out how hard it is and how, especially <laughs> with, 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 and it wasn't so much the filming and all, you know, the story writing, all that stuff. Yeah. That's, that's its own art that honestly, I'm, I'm not very good at. Um, but I, I can, I, I was able to put something together, but it was the, it was the permits um, because at this point, you know, the, you know, the city of Los Angeles, uh, you know, Los Angeles County and stuff like that really didn't know what we were. So I, we couldn't really get away with um, filming in the city. I kind of maybe kind of lied and said I was from USC um, in the, at the film school. So they didn't, so they didn't charge me on a permit. So I was able to fi- film in Griffith park uh, for a day. Oh, wow. and that, but, yeah. And, but after that, I, you know, and you know, a lot of fan films, you know, they film out in the desert. That's where Kevin uh, Rubio, who did troops, you know, they just film out in the desert. So you don't have to worry about that. But it was just, I just got into that and I'm like, I really don't like having to deal with this and you know, all this headache. So that's when I kind of turned my sights um, to actually promoting fan films. And I'm like, you know, somebody should report the news because people are going to be interested in this. Um, and so uh, the force.net was my inspiration, just that style, the way they did the um, reporting on the news and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, they're the, you know, the whole big, you know, that was the whole, that was the time of the fan site wars were going on. Um, so it was, you know, everything's hot and heavy. Everything's, you know, everybody's trying to beat each other out. But so I just, I created what's called, it was fanfilms.com in mid 99. Um, and I, and I happened to be working for an internet company at the time. So I, I did that at night. Uh, you know, I ran the fan, the, the website during the day uh, while I was also coaching football and, um, but use, but my connections at, at my internet company, there were so many guys that were former filmmakers or, you know, current filmmakers and, and, you know, special effects guys, and they were able to get me connections to people, or even a couple of them actually did their own films that uh, eventually, um, got mentioned on TFN or was hosted, but it, it just, I just happened to be at the right place at the right time and just made the right connections. Um, for fanfilms.com then that's that was pre um the force.net and that's really what led in to me joining um the force.net about because fast films fanfilms.com only lasted about six months um before mm. it got swallowed by the force.net and i mean i brought it in and so um i don't know if you remember at that time it was called tfn theater so when i came in i rebranded it as tfn fan films and you know, I brought I brought fanfilms.com, so it would redirect to that the TFN fanfilms part of, of the force.net. And we set to re just kind of rebuild the entire section and to make it a lot um, bigger. because um, right at that point it was pretty much just hosting uh, troops. And but I wanted to like, okay, we're gonna have our own our own news section, um, which eventually, you know, that made its way onto the the main page. So a lot of the, you know, a lot of the main fans started to realize that, hey, there are fan films here. Um, and, and people are doing stuff that are um, maybe interesting to the fans besides just the movies. But yeah, so we, re- we completely rebranded the, 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 that section of the site. And then we started adding tutorials uh, on how to actually do a lot of the effects. Um, and that actually led into a lot of um, interesting conversations with people, with professionals um, in the industry. And also personally for me, um, it led to, you know, for um, jobs down the, down the road. 
Um, but we can get into that later. But uh, just that decision to make a make a, a one section um, that provided guidance, and then we of course then we had the forums, where, which mm -hmm. you know amazing people were there, and you know you told me, and you were there. It's just amazing that the that the the community we had there. We ignored, and, and this is something that I did on, uh, on intentionally. We ignored all the outside noise. Um, I didn't. I didn't care about the fan site wars going on. I didn't care about the, you know who's getting exclusive information about the next episode. I didn't care. I, all I cared about was bringing the community together um, of filmmakers to help each other. And I didn't care where you're going to be hosted. I just wanted to make have everybody make. Um, make the, the best uh, fan film that they could on the budgets that they had. I mean, as you said, sometimes people had zero budget. Some people, you know, had 20, 30, $40,000 to do it. And so it was just my goal. I just wanted to, you know, I enjoyed, this is where I, I enjoyed and I wanted to watch these fan films. So I tried to make, make it an effort to um, bring a, have a commute, one community that um, could just ignore all, everything else and just be together and help each other and make and great uh make great art no that that is one of the reasons why when i wanted to do an episode about fan films the first thing i thought of was tfn fan films and i reached out because obviously the force.net website is still around i i don't think it's inaccurate to say that uh the heyday of it was probably around this period that we're talking about mm -hmm. but i mean yeah like the community and the resources and sort of at least for me you know, I was in high school, college at the time, and I was trying to make fan films myself. And I certainly used, I availed myself of the tutorial section and really found it invaluable. And even though I never ended up completing a fan film, that was really a training ground where I learned a lot of the skills. I taught myself a lot of the skills through that kind of experimentation and trying to figure out how to get things done that are skills that I still utilize in my professional career uh, to this day. Like it's just, whether it's, it's, it's video editing or motion graphics, um, you know, really that approach to problem solving. Well, I need to, I want to achieve this. How do I get there? And sort mm -hmm. of that, whether it was like trying to add a lightsaber glow to a broom handle or, you know, trying to render a computer generated spaceship or whatever it is, how to get the footage from the camera to the computer, then back out to tape VHS at the time, you know, like that community was really sort of my film school in a lot of ways. And I really learned so much. And uh, yeah, so I mean, I guess what I'm, I'm trying to say is, first off, thank you <laughs> um, for all of that, that uh, work that you did back then to create that community. So you had tried to make a fan film at, at one point, you mentioned you shot a day in Griffith Park or something. What was your film going to be and why did you stop? So originally the name of mine was, was Revenge of the Sith. And this really, so this is not, yes. Cool. Because, because <laughs> I remember, because that's the original name of, of episode uh, six, Return of the Jedi. Exactly. Or exactly. it was Revenge of the Jedi. Of the Jedi. So, so what it was actually going to be was about Darth Bane's ascendancy. And of course, you know, I, I had to do like, like everybody else in the forest type thing. And it was two Jedi on each side. And yep. at the what winds up happening is the Padawan actually kills the Sith Lord, and the, the Padawan takes the name of Darth Bane, and he's now turned. And so that was the ending of it was you know so the whole conflict was the, was going to be the movie, and I only filmed like like half of it, uh, the fights. 
but then the, at the end it was going to be he takes the name Darth Bane and he's going to go off and take you know take the Sith shuttle and basically be the Darth Bane of history. So yeah, it was so the name, original name was Revenge of the Sith. I found out somebody had the name. And I was like, you know, either I could either ask them to change their name or that I can just do it. And I was like, I'm just going to change that. And so I changed it to Lord of the Sith. And I did a, a really crappy tra- trailer for it. I would n- never do that again because I didn't have a lot of the experience of doing rotoscoping and all that kind of stuff. So I had to figure out a lot, a lot of the stuff on my own, which again, is that's what led to a lot of my tutorials because I, I figured out how to do it. But, you know, I did it through Photoshop. And, you know, instead of right. doing it through After Effects, I took, yeah, you know, same, you could do same. the film, yeah, the like film you- strip. Uh huh. Yeah, you exported it as a film strip, and you mm-hmm. you literally went into Photoshop and you imported this huge, huge image file. Yes, <laughs> it was every single frame was a separate image in one file, and you drew on you drew on the cells. I mean, in a way, it was like they did it back in the day. Yes, uh, except it except it was not physical film; it was you know a digital image, but it was still frame by frame, and that's yes. not how they do it anymore. Yeah, you know, a couple of years later, I learned like, yeah, you can just do it in After Effects, and it's really yeah. easy to do. Because I mean, because I had to like draw the shadow of the of the shuttle, which I did the shuttle in 3D Max or whatever. So I had to draw the shadow in this film strip, and you know, and I do the lightsabers and stuff like that, and they weren't the greatest. And I just saw that I'm not going to be, I'm not going to. This is not fun, and I, I yeah. want to, you know, <laughs> I, and I'm, I'm going to have to go back now, and I'm, I'm going to, I wanted to finish this film. Uh, I'd, I'd have to kind of lie to them again to uh say I'm a, I'm a film student not to charge me and it, it was it was a lot of money too for like a permit oh sure for sure and there's uh, not a lot of places in los angeles to film in the forest unless you go up to like the national forest but i mean i'm not going to take people up there who are just doing this for free um for sure so yeah do you still have that footage anywhere or or has it oh been no lost it's, it's long sense? it's long gone it's long gone <laughs> yeah because I, I had a dedicated scuzzy drive Again, because I, I also had to learn the technology because, yep. you know, I, I had the old, uh, oh, I don't, what was it, 4,800 RPM or whatever the slower. Yeah, uh, right, right. 4,800 RPM. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You had to get a 10,000 um, oh, wow. RPM yeah, SCSI yeah, drive. Yeah. So I had to. You back. Know, yeah. So my <laughs> Mac G4, I had to build it up and that, and that's the hard drive was super expensive because, you know, the yep. SCSIs were um, much more uh, impressive. So yeah, it just stayed in the G4 and then I, I got rid of that thing probably 10, 12 years ago. I should have kept it just for, you know, but I, I still have a lot of the films uh, in digital format hanging out on my uh, on my server that I built. Like, I think it's really important to place this in context because you look at YouTube, like YouTube, I feel like was really a game changer and we can get into this a little later, but like some of the functions that TFN fan films really served at that time were a couple things. I mean, number one, it was like a curator. It was a platform. It was a place to go to see these films. And if you were a fan filmmaker, it was a place to go to try to get your film seen. Whereas you know, now, like you would just probably upload it to YouTube, if not, you know, one of a zillion other social networking platforms with videos. Uh, But then also the tutorials. Today, if you want to figure out how to do something, like you just, you go to YouTube and you ask the question in the search field, and then you get a zillion tutorials. Mm -hmm. And like that did not exist at the time that we're talking about. And like you guys were, I mean, at least for me, like the only game in town. And I think people who weren't around then, like it's probably hard to wrap your mind around digital video on the internet before YouTube. Mm -hmm. Hosting was actually one of the hardest things that we had to do. 
you know, hosting was a big part of the site. And when I opened it up, um, you're right. I mean, a lot of people wanted to get on the site and which I, you know, I, I wish I could host everybody. I would have, if I could, if YouTube existed at that point, I would never have hosted anybody. I would have put everybody on YouTube and, and pointed them and I would have created a, a site on the, on TFN to go there. I would have done it for everybody. It, I mean, the worst thing I had to do was reject people. And I mean, I created a form letter because I was, I was at, at the internet company. I, that's what I did. I responded to people via, via email for a lot of things, you know, cause I was, I was writing, you know, connection strings for modems, that kind of thing. That's how old um, the, you know, I go back, but <laughs> it's the, I, I, so I wrote these templates um, for my guys, you know, I started it and then we had, you know, had John and Max came on um, and by the way, I'm still friends with, still friends with them. Uh, I still have connections to them on the internet. Uh, we don't talk as much anymore, but uh, you know we're still connected in our lives. Um, I'm, you know, with Kevin, all those, you know, all those guys. I'm still, you know, uh, connected. That community was so tight um, that, you know, we shared something. I think, you know, that we just, you know, all are, you know, had had such an interest in that just it, it meant so much to us that we just don't let it go. So were these so, so these people who you're talking about. Were they part of TFN at large or the TFN no, no. fan film community? TFN fan films. Yeah. So John, yeah, John refers to, um, he did Crazy Watto and the Jedi Hunter. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. And he, and he's, he still does fan. He does filmmaking. He does stuff in ba for Babylon 5. He still does uh, a lot of editing for, for TV news down in Tennessee. Um, but I still, you know, I'm still in contact with him. Uh, Max, he just helped me on the site. He, you know, he was just a, you know, a geek and was willing to help me out and get everything. And, you know, now he's like, he's at the, you know, uh, you know, uh, university in Virginia teaching digital media as a professor. So, I mean, it's, wow. you know, you know, a lot of these guys have, you know, have just kept into this, um, for me, myself, you know, I, you know, as we'll now talk about the tutorials because of those tutorials, they got mentioned in, in an article. Uh, and my company, uh, you know, down the road saw this and they said, Hey, you know how to teach people on the internet. I said, yeah, that I, I taught people how to, you know, make lightsabers and how to make the opening crawl in star Wars. And it just so happened. My director was a huge star Wars fan and said, Hey, you know, we have a training department. We would like you to come into training for us. And so I went from, you know, working Photoshop and After Effects and all that kind of stuff. And now here I'm now working Flash. In the military, I'd worked in um, a bunch, you know, a bunch of other macromedia things because my last unit was a training, uh, training unit. But so now I'm going into Flash and I've got now I'm going from doing customer support type items. And now I'm becoming a programmer, a Flash developer. You know, I, I'd done some programming on TFN. I mean, I helped, uh, Anthony was the main programmer, uh, on the site and he ran, you know, he did all this, uh, he, he built all the sections for us, for us and, you know, handled the database work, but I, and I helped him and, you know, went for, went on the TFN's part of things. Um, so, you know, I could do HTML, JavaScript, you know, the minor stuff, but now I'm actually going into hardcore coding and, you know, flash development, of course took all, you know, it, this is the early part of flash development. So, you know, that was 10 years of, of a lot of work and it's just continued on today. And, you know, I'm still a developer. So it's those kind of things, those relationships that I had that I, I got from TFNs, the, the fan films, um, is what really has led to a lot of success to today. Um, even to, you know, 
when I left California and, um, you know, I did it, be, you know, because of TFN fan films, we went to the, uh, you know, the convention out here, you know, Indianapolis and, you know, we loved it out here so much. I lost my job, uh, in, in at the internet company and I'm like, we liked Indianapolis, let's move there. And so I did that. Um, wow. And then, you know, I met my, you know, Lisa Fett. Um, I don't know if you remember that because I got married while I was on the website and people said, you know, congratulations with the, you know, uh, because uh, my forum name was Azim. It was Azim and Lisa Azim. Fett. And the, yeah. And there's a picture of a Royal Guard and uh, Boba Fett getting married. You know, that, and I've told you the story that, you know, I met her through the 501st. And, right. but, I met her, but I met her because of, I met another costuming group while I was um, out at Dragon Con to, uh, for TFN. And I, was, I wanted to try a different, a different convention. So I went to Dragon Con as, as TFN, covered it for that. And then I met a group of people there and they said, hey, we have a you know, friend in Southern California who's, who, who's part of the 501st, you should meet her. And so I met her and then I married her. And, uh, you know, we just, and we just celebrated our 21st anniversary uh, this year. Congratulations. Thanks. So everything in my adult life has come from that, um, come from joining t- uh, the force.net, you know, and, and work with the 501st. So it's, you know, the relationships have just continued on to this day. And I, you know, even there's more, you know, fan filmmakers I'm still friends with as well. And, you know, the anonymous director, uh, Sandy, who did the um, Batman versus Predator, the guys who did Night Quest. Um, Night so- Quest, yeah. No, yeah, mm-hmm. that's um, uh, one of the ones. I have a list of ones that I still remember fondly from those days. And Night Quest was, I remember, a lot of hype for that one. Yeah. And I mean, I, I actually went on to the set during some of their reshoots. Um, and I was there when they were filming. Uh, and then, you know, I met uh, Joe. I mean, because he's, he's he was a video editor, a special effects artist type guy. Uh, Joe Monroe, actually, was that his name? Yeah. Yeah. And I went to, yeah, he, he, had, he actually worked for Universal at the time. So I went to, went to his office in Universal and got to see, you know, the real, the real deal. Um, so it's, you know, a lot of those guys became my real friends and, you know, we, and I said, we've just stayed in contact and it's interesting to see like where everybody has gone since those days. No, that's so cool. It's, I'm so glad to hear that you and some of the other members of the community, uh, you know, this really led to a lot of things in their adults in their adult oh, yeah. life and, and uh, careers and lasting friendships. I mean, that's, that's so lovely to hear that. Um, you mentioned a couple things, like just for the benefit of any of our listeners who don't know about the 501st, could you just briefly explain what the 501st is and then how that lent itself to the work that you did in the fan film community? Yeah, so in, I think it was 1997, uh, Alvin Johnson and uh, one of his buddies, uh, Alvin Johnson was the, is the founder of the 501st. And they, you know, they joined, they went down to Dragon Con and they started stormtrooping, uh, stormtroopers. And they're like, you know, then he got home and he's like, you know, this is back in the GeoCity days. And he created right. a website. <laughs> and it, at that point, it was just like the squad. It was like the 504 squad or actually it was like the attachment block for some weird number. I can't remember what it was. Um, that didn't last long because now people started joining him. And so it became the 501st Legion. Uh, 501st obviously kind of named after, um, you know, the... Uh, you know, like the 501st, like the paratroopers from, from World War II, um, it sounded military. And, you know, you know, of course, Legion, because, you know, a Legion of my best troops, you know, from, from Return of the Jedi. Right. And so right. that kind of incorporated, got incorporated into, our, into, the, into the history of us. That, that, was, our le- that was our Legion on, on Endor. And so we became Vader's fists. And so, 
so that, that was pretty cool, you know, in, you know, the, there was, you know, it's kind of, they were kind of like paralleling us, uh, on the fan film side of it. And then, um, um, I can't remember which book it was. And one of the books, uh, the five first got canonized. And, and then in episode three, of course, you know, the, the blue clone troopers, um, became the 501st clone trooper detachment. And they're the ones that actually right. marched with Anakin into the, uh, you know, into the Jedi temple. Thanks. You know, yeah congratulations you're the guys that killed a bunch of uh kids but a bunch of kids yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyways but we, we, we got canonized and so what was happening with fan films as it grew in popularity the dressing up as stormtroopers started growing more popularity and also vader now we had vaders bubble fats and these were very high quality costumes so I was working with Albin at the time early on when we were trying to re, you know, reorganize the Legion, get everybody in, you know, to say, okay, if you're like these certain states, you're a garrison, you know, different garrisons and that kind of stuff, so they can get in contact. Well, it just now I have everybody's contact information. So when people were emailing us saying, Hey, I'm making a fan film in North Carolina, who do I call? If I'm making a you know fan film in Northern California, who do I call? And I would actually um reach out to these guys in the 501st to help them get in touch with these fan filmmakers. And a lot of these guys, that's how a lot of these guys showed up uh, in the films. Yeah, that's so great. And what's so funny is that like that tradition has even continued to this day with like even, you know, official Lucasfilm productions. Like if I'm not mistaken on The Mandalorian, they needed a bunch of stormtroopers. And Mm -hmm. I believe the 501st showed up to be on screen in an episode of The Mandalorian. Yeah, the the end episodes, episode 11 and 12. I think that's what it was. The one where um, they attacked, where they attacked the town and Moff Gideon, you know, kills his own man and they, they right. you know, they're yeah. T- so you were the originator of that sort of resource or tradition. It's so it's so ingrained in the Star Wars community and that that um, the real guys even go to them. And one of the things I actually got to um, attend is the, you know, everybody knows about the, the Chinese theater. Well, you know, you know, you can call grandma's man's, whatever you want to call it. It's, you know, it's the Chinese theater. That is like mm-hmm. the that is the home of the, of the blockbuster. That's where the term comes from. That's where Star Wars originated from. And because, you know, if you're out of the Chinese theater, if you're trying to, everybody's trying to get in, it the line goes around the block. And, right. you know, so um, when episode one came out and I wanted to go see that the day one, um, we actually had to wait in line to get tickets. And we did that around the block. So for episode two came out, um, I, got an, I got an email from uh, Lucasfilm and they reached out to me because of my connections with uh, the force.net uh, as well as with the 501st and said, Hey, we need a bunch of stormtroopers and characters at the Chinese theater for the uh, red carpet premiere uh, for episode two. So I got to organize a bunch of guys and um, um, gal, my wife uh, in costumes. And we were actually at the Chinese theater when, you know, Sam Jackson, Ewan McGregor um, and a bunch, you know, <clears throat> Ahmed best, uh, all showed up to for the end for the episode two premiere that you know that was of course broadcast you know nationwide and then there we are in the background and our darth vader which one of the coolest things is um you know because you know you mcgregor's you know obi-wan has not met uh darth vader yet our darth vader was six foot six or seven something like that he was a really tall guy so he's in his he looks like darth vader because he's that tall and the funny thing is is he was actually a part-time writer for star trek um, but uh, <laughs> I think, vo- really I don't, I think uh, yeah, I think it was Voyager or something like that. I can't remember what, which, which series he was doing, but so he's doing this. And so this is like the first time Ewan McGregor is seen with Darth Vader. 
that I know of. And so he's at, you know, obviously he's in his street clothes and Ewan McGregor's in his street clothes, but there's pictures of him and, and six foot, you know, six, six foot seven Darth Vader in full uniform. And, and I thought that was, that was kind the of first, cool. no, first, no, that's awesome. So that was the first time Ewan McGregor had come face to face with a full suited kitted out Darth that Vader. That I know of. Yeah. Like. Yeah. You know, that's so, so interesting. So, you know, obviously he starred in the recent Obi-Wan Kenobi show. On Disney mm-hmm. Plus, and you you have to imagine that when he goes on set and he sees Hayden Christensen as Darth Vader, that like that memory sort of flashes in his head, you know? Yeah, and it's I mean, and he's now known as I mean, he's the character, and every, so, but it's it's interesting and it's kind of fun to see the the history of it from you know a view that not everybody got to see um, so because cool. that's really yeah. cool. And it's it, which was just funny, that's because like the fire marshals for that event is coming up to us and talk, talking to us and Lucasfilm personnel. They're saying like, because it was ninety something degrees, and it, that's really hot in those outfits. I was the royal guard then, of course, and uh, and my and Lisa Fett was of course Boba Fett, and they're telling us, you know, you guys have got to take you know breaks every like 15, 20 minutes. So we would sneak off behind like you know some some uh, area. And, you know, get a quick drink, get our helmets off really quick and then, you know, for five minutes and then come back out and, you know, and just, and just stand there and, you know, you know, Vader, of course, you know, would meet all the guests and stuff like that. You know, Vader, Vader just being Vader. Um, so it would, it's just one of those things where, you know, I think Lucasfilm, you know, having a garrison on in California and now there's like three of them or there at the time there were, there was two of us and then central Cal- California was a squad if I remember right. And now there's at least three or four. Um, so California has always been a major hub for the 501st, but it's, you know, when they needed stormtroopers, whether for Mandalorian or for a premiere, you know, they could count on, uh, they can call on, uh, the 501st and they, they'll be there. That's so cool. That's really, really cool. So before I go any further, I have a confession to make. Okay. So I am actually the original owner of the domain fanfilm.com <laughs> because I was trying to make a Star Wars fan film around 1999 like everyone else. And I had a vision to to make a site that is basically what TFN fan films became. And I always, uh-huh. you obviously got there first, but I, I always wondered if the person who registered fanfilms.com had tried to get fanfilm.com. I did not. Um, okay. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> it actually kind of bums me out because I accidentally let the domain lapse when I was in college and now it's in the hands of some domain squatter who wants like 20 grand for it or something. And it's just like, it just yeah. makes me so mad every time I think about it. But anyway, yeah, I digress. When I, when I left uh, TFN, I, I gifted them the website, uh, the, the domain. I, mean, I oh, had nothing. Nice. Yeah, I was not going to use it. And I didn't want exactly what you said. I didn't want some domain squatter to grab it. So I get, I signed it over to them and let them have it. Whether they, I don't, I haven't, I've never checked to see if they still have it even today. But um, it's, I, I always wanted it to be so people can find fan films. I didn't care if I was there or not. No, absolutely. Well, um, uh, you've eased my conscience after like twenty something years because I always, <laughs> I always felt really badly. I assumed that the owner of fanfilms.com had also wanted fanfilm.com and saw <laughs> that it was already registered, and I felt really badly that I never did anything with it. So, but mm-hmm. uh, you have, uh, <laughs> I can now sleep, um, yeah, sleep at ease without any guilt. <laughs> yep. um, so you know, again, one of the things that you mentioned really briefly 
because hosting was such an important function of the site, like just out of necessity, like, I mean, like you said, there, there wasn't a YouTube, there was no way, no like universal way or, or no simple way to host digital video on the internet. Mm -hmm. So uh, uh, you're having to take things into account, like bandwidth issues. And I remember what was that software, that encoding software? Like it was such a challenge to get the file size of the videos small enough that like sweet spot of quality mm -hmm. to file size. And I remember, you know, these were the days when like you'd have like a QuickTime file and everything would appear in like three versions, the high quality yeah. download, the medium quality download and the low quality download for those on like dial up. Yeah. And um, you were saying that like you had to be choosy with the fan films that you would select to put on TFN fan films, right? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. then it was bandwidth and obviously space, you know, nowadays, right. you know, people, you know, oh, gigabytes and, you know, terabytes. No, no, know, no, no. It's no big deal. <laughs> yeah. We're no. in megabytes. <laughs> and, but actually I think bandwidth was probably the biggest kicker for us. So one of the things you're talking about, uh, I don't, I don't remember it was quick. Cause I used QuickTime pro was one of the, one of the programs like I used Sorenson at the time. Squeeze. I think I'm yeah. Sorenson like yeah. Sorenson was, it was the big one. And, um, and QuickTime Pro were, were were the two main ones that we had. What was what was funny is I actually got an email from an Apple developer of QuickTime, and he sat down with me and talked told me here's all the settings that you want to use at the at the you know to get these sizes these bit rates, um, which you know fit rates is obviously the you know how the quality of the uh, image you know to right. keep it from pixelating and that kind of stuff. Um, but he he actually gave me all the all this information that Apple had. And so I was able to use that information and make a lot better films at lost small, you know, at the smallest possible size that I could. So, I mean, it was a challenge just sometimes uploading these things. Um, I screwed That's up one time and I missed a deadline. And I was, you know, cause I, cause I actually would do it at work. Um, they never caught me, but, uh, Sorry, sorry, folks who I, I worked for at the time, but I that's how I did. I did it at work because we, had, you know, we had like multiple T three lines. You know, at that time was that that's the way you know to get to the internet. Um, mm -hmm. You know, with the maximum speed, but I I couldn't even get into some of these servers because I missed that because I was late getting to work, and people had were already trying to download, and you know they were wow. they were hitting the site and they hit it so much, you know, and they were downloading. I don't know if people were downloading other films or what they were doing. But they were trying to get to the the site so much um, that it it locked me out. Eventually, I had to like kick you know to uh, block the site and to keep them from you know hitting a site that that's you know that's pulling that's pulling bandwidth from that from my servers. And then I would upload and then I would re you know reengage the site. I only did only made that mistake once, and then after wow. that, <laughs> I, I made sure I would always tell people I'm going to do it this day, and then I would upload like the day before. Wow, that's wild. So let me tell you the story about bandwidth. And so this is the famous story that all you know, people from the website and, and one of the directors knows. So towards the end, you know, um, do you, I think, and I think it was Sins of the Jedi. Do you remember that one? It was, these are the guys yes. made on the East Coast. Pretty well-made film film. Guys were super nice to us and stuff like that. And we were, it was hyped up for many years. Well, um, during my tenure, uh, TF, uh, TFN kind of, uh, partnered with IGN. So we're talking about a major, you know, servers. And so we're on their servers on the IGN servers. And 
I had uploaded, and I think this was around episode, I think this is the episode three convention here uh, in Indianapolis. And I uploaded Sins of the Jedi. Well, during the middle of the convention, the owner of TFN says he just got off a call with IGN screaming at us because we just took down their entire servers because so many people, the bandwidth is so high for Sins of the Jedi that we can't host it anymore. And we actually had to take it down because IGN was screaming at us for, you that know, for taking incredible. all the bandwidth. Yeah. That is incredible. <laughs> that's, that's so wild. That was probably my last major film. I was, I wasn't really happy about it. I understood, but then I had to call the guys up. I'm like, Hey, we're taking it down because you know, it's too popular. And they, they were <laughs> super nice. They understood. I think and they got their own hoster and they figured out their own way of doing it. I tried to like redirect to them and everything like that. But, um, it, that was, that was probably the biggest bummer and kind of one of the things that solidified my decision that it was time to go, um, because things were changing at that time period. And, you know, we will, and we'll talk about that more, uh, later on, but it was just one of those things that said episode three, I'm done. Um, just too much is changing. And I don't like, I didn't like where fan films were going at the time, at that time. And, uh, I didn't really, I didn't feel it anymore. Um, well, that's interesting. So, um, bandwidth it was a finite resource so you had to be choosy and that was one of the good things about tfn fan films was that you guys really acted as kind of a curator it was a destination to go to to see the stuff that was being made sort of the cream of the crop and i was just wondering what were your criteria for what you would look for in a fan film like what would make you say yes to one film and no to another film stuff like that so obviously early on, it was, you know, we didn't have a lot of diversity there. So, I, you know, really, it, if it was a half decent film that it didn't look like you were filmed out in, in your backyard, um, mm. and, you know, and with, with your home camera that, you know, you didn't know how to do, uh, you know, color correction, you know, the, the, you know, audio didn't echo like crazy, you know, so we were pretty um, generous at the beginning, just because I, I wanted you know get films on the site. I don't think I ever put anything on that I didn't like. There's some of the ones that you know, you know, were not my favorites, but I still you know I still liked them. I liked I liked the artistry of it. I liked what they were trying to do, and then that in, so my in, you know thoughts of okay, this is going to be a you know sprawling Star Wars saga. Obviously, Night Quest was one of the earlier ones. It, you know, it took a little bit longer to get done, but I was like let's step back from that. And I want something to see, I want to see people do things new um, mm. or something that's, I want to see them do something um, specifically good. Um, like the, like the, um, the, I don't know if they were brothers or cousins or whatever. Remember the, the two Chinese guys um, who, they, I mean, they fought with um, plastic sabers, you know, they, they rotoscoped them and stuff like that. And, but they knew how to, they knew how to fight from, you know, from Kung Fu. And they did, a, you know, it was the one where they, you know, the guy's quoting a civil war, letter um it was really different do you, do you remember that one where and they, they, had the, they would fight they even fought dual, dual sabered the art of the saber yes about. art of the yes. saber that's correct right yeah that art, art, of, art the saber, of the saber but it was it was but it was two it was two guys and they weren't dressed up as really a sith or jedi at all they did but they just fought um re, they were really fast and obviously their weapons are pretty light but they knew how to do they knew how to do choreography um and they did it on a simple level um so that I picked that one because I liked, I liked that they were trying to do something different. Um, you know, I thought the letter was just really, I thought it was odd and weird, but I thought it was pretty cool. It was just the way he, 
uh, they incorporated that in, into the um, the movie, their little movie. Um, but the guys just knew the guys could chore- uh, choreograph a fight, uh, much right. like uh, the guys. You know, duality obviously did it on a much grander scale. You know, Dave McCumber has gone on to do great things. He's a, I mean, he's like a well-known stunt de- uh, coordinator, and like um, uh, he does directing now as well. Um, you know, but he's like big time. He does big time uh, A-list movies. Um, so he he that was a, his huge stepping stone. But so they did something like duality, but on a much smaller scale with just two guys in the woods, you know, with a pretty crappy camera. Um, but they 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 were able to achieve it, and it looked natural. Um, mm. And and and, and there there really only been a few like lightsaber fights that I that I thought um, were as good as that um mm. you know ryan ryan's uh fight was fantastic he did a you know series of them uh was yeah. fantastic ryan versus dork man yeah uh dork yeah. yeah those guys they were fantastic and they knew what they so that was the kind of thing where you know they did one thing and it was it was good um like uh pa wars uh those guys i'm, yeah. I'm still friends with uh it was just so bizarre and just so weird that you know, I had to, ha- I had to put it on this on the on the screen because it's just because <laughs> they knew how to write and they had they knew how to do comedy, um, some something you just never saw, you know, you just didn't see in Star Wars. So it was just something different, um, you know. And you know, I even quote the quote that movie a few times, yeah, you know, a few times every you know every few years, just because I can remember the lines from it, you know. So that's what I was looking for especially down over the over the next few years as more films came in and then we started getting into the crossovers and Mm. i had to be really careful with those at first um because you know i'm gonna tell you honest i was expecting us to get shut down some at some point um really yeah i thought lucasfilm was eventually because remember paramount was really against this and they still are Um, yeah they still are yeah yeah, there is a big difference. I think it's actually pretty striking in the approach. I mean, this is something that I was going to ask a bit later on, but it seems like, especially at this time, Lucasfilm was very friendly to the fan film community. I mean, within reason, obviously. I mean, like if somebody mm-hmm. was trying to make money off of a fan yeah. film, they probably wouldn't have been okay with that. But it was, you know, really in stark contrast to say the way Paramount handled fan activities around Star Trek. Um mm-hmm. I remember way back in the day, I don't know if it was around this time or even earlier, but they for a while, they didn't even allow the use of images on fan sites. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, which yeah, is like, so, you know, very, very strict. Yeah. So then I wish I could remember the name of the film. Then we, we got a crossover with Star Wars and the Matrix. And yes. that and that one, at first I was kind of nervous about putting up, but I was like, I got to do it. I mean, because it's, it's a, ma- you know, Matrix was really popular at the time. But I got to put it up, and because they did a very good job on the Star Wars side of it, um, and it's it was like one of the first times that this started coming out. So that is where the whole hey, let's now we're going to start looking at non Star Wars fan films. You know, I didn't ask anybody if I could do this; I just did it. Um, you know, and of course, you know, the infamous Batman versus the Predator was a huge mm-hmm. film, and you know, uh, they sent us a copy. Of, you know, they digitized it for us, and um, and, and I'll tell you, a lot of the fan filmmakers, they couldn't digitize. You know, they sent me the films and, and I digitized mm-hmm. it for them. And we'll talk about that in a second because that, that actually led into uh, one of the famous incidents with fan films. And, uh, but yeah, so Batman versus Predator, that was like, uh, at this point, I was like, 
I don't care. I'm just going to, you know, fan films is a lot more than Star Wars. TFN fan films can't get locked. You know, I didn't want to get locked into just Star Wars at, at this point, you know, because this is like 04, 05. Um, I, 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 could, I, was gonna, I could see that if we just lock ourselves into, into Star Wars fan films, we are basically, we're going to get, you know, people are going to get tired of it. Um, yeah, I mean, and, like how many lightsaber fights at the woods can you have? I mean, yes. <laughs> I mean to be reductive about it, but uh. yeah, you know, and people, you know, we had basically one guy that could do the Darth Vader voice, uh, Ben, down in uh, Australia. Everybody was talking to him, um, and I, again, he was like one of those resources where people would ask me, like, "How do I get in touch with, you know, so and so's fan film used Darth Vader, and he sounds, you know, pretty close to James Earl Jones. How do I get in touch with that guy?" And I was like, "Here, you know, look, here, 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 here's his email address. Go talk to him." <laughs> um, but I knew it. So once we started to that, I was even no more. So I was expecting like, we're going to get a cease and desist at, by su- at some point. And funny enough, you know, Warner brothers didn't care. Um, and, uh, you know, whoever owned, you know, Warner brothers owns Batman. I don't remember who owned his predator at the time. Um, it may have been them as well. They I think care. Fox, right? Yeah. Yeah. They, so, you know, luckily those, you know, that, that group did not involve any, who really either followed us and didn't know about it i think eventually they found they found out about it i mean it was it, batman versus predator just became too big um but you know we never it never happened um so i, I thought i was for we were pretty fortunate on that because i didn't know what would happen if if it really did have you know we got a takedown letter because we did not have the relationship with these other uh uh in the studios that you know tfn did with lucasfilm I mean, we had people that used to work for TFN that worked at Lucasfilm. And so they could email us uh, on the side or, you know, say, hey, you guys got to take that down, you know, that kind of stuff. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Yeah. One of my questions was, what if any contact you guys had with Lucasfilm and were there ever any like, you know, conversations or like, okay, like here's where the line is. Like, as long as you stay away from this or you don't go here, then we're fine. Uh, But it sounds like you guys had a pretty close relationship. We did. Um, Steve Sansweet was the you know director of fan relations. Um, super nice guy. Uh, my first introduction to him wasn't all that great though. Um, and so, so let me let me tell you about the, that infamous um, uh, San Diego Comic Con. Had two different things happen to me. So my introduction to, to, to Steve Sansweet was I was covering the conventions. You know, since I lived in you know near Los Angeles, I can get down there, and we and we got, went down there anyways. So I covered the convention. I didn't know TFN, you know, I, I was kind of separate from the guys who did the spoilers and that kind of stuff. I didn't know that TFN had just posted a major spoiler uh, that day. So during the, so I was covering the episode two panel. It was Steve Sansweet. Some guy gets in the, you know, the questionnaire and goes, by the way, hey, Steve, on TFN today, they posted that Anakin gets his arm cut off. And oh, wow. So I wasn't paying attention, you know, and I was just covering and stuff like that. I didn't, I didn't listen to the Q and A because, you know, I was figuring it's just going to be, you know, you know, Coke or Pepsi. What did you know? What did you eat today? So I wasn't paying attention to that. After the convention, I was, I went up to Steve or uh, the panel, and I was like, "Hey, Steve, I'm Jeff with TFN Fan Films. I work with TheForce.net. You know, I just wanted to talk to you. You know, if we can get an interview with this." And Steve got really mad at me, and he's like, "You guys posted that." And I'm not, I can't do an interview with you because you guys just gave a major spoiler plot away uh, right here, you know, right before the convention, before the movie came out. And I was like, oh boy. And then 
you know, later on, he, he gave me a call and he was, he's like, Hey, you know, you know, it's not, I know it wasn't you. I'm sorry. And blah, blah, blah. And so, but him and I had contact and he's the one that actually uh, contacted me for about doing that, uh, the premiere uh, for episode oh, wow. two. So that's how that yeah. came out at that same convention. Um, you remember the anonymous director episode two fan trailer? Yes. Do you remember that incident where somebody at Lucasfilm said, Hey, this looks like the trailer for episode two. So what had happened? There was a screening at that at that Comic-Con. So okay, there it, was a screening where they screened the anonymous director's fan trailer for episode two. Yes. And okay. nobody had any context for it. Because remember, what used to usually happen on the TFN movies at the bottom right would say the force.net. Right. I found out why we do that and found out. <laughs> so what had happened is I was leaving for San Diego Comic-Con. And I was running out of time. And, you know, you know this at that time, Sorensen and QuickTime Pro took forever to, to took encode. time, yeah, to encode. I didn't have enough time. So I did the small version only uh, before I went out the door. But I forgot to put the... The watermark. You forgot yep, the I watermark. Forgot the, forgot the watermark. And so I posted oh, it. Oh, God. Oh, no. Yeah. So, so now it was on TFN. <laughs> and remember, at that time, you could download. You know, you had to download. Um, right. So they da- you downloaded it. So, so now people had this. So once that got started getting shared, now it's off to, uh, the force.net and everybody's saying, Hey, this, you know, here's the, and they're not paying attention to the move. You know, they're not actually paying attention to, you know, what's on the screen. Everybody's like just super excited because it's a leaked episode too, not realizing, you know, Hey, there's Braveheart. That should be a, a big clue. Right. But you know, they use, they, but they used pick, you know, a video of uh, Hayden Christensen and uh, that nobody really knew. So that got screened at uh, Comic-Con and people were like, Oh my gosh, it's it's a leaked leaked episode two video and you know the massive Jedi attack and all that stuff, which I'm sure the person who you know that, you know from Lucasfilm who said that didn't you know didn't really know the film. She probably just knew that certain things might happen, and you know th- at the end of episode two there was a massive Jedi attack, uh, you know right. on on the uh, on the uh, uh, arena, so that is that caused all sorts of confusion. And I, you know, I knew, I know the anonymous director, I still, again, I'm still friends with him today. He still does uh, video editing for a lot of major stuff, major uh, video uh, um, productions. But uh, yeah, so we, him and I had to sit down and talk and do like an interview and together and kind of, kind of clear the air about really what happened. And uh, after uh, when, with, I, immediately um, when I got home. Who did you do an interview with to clear it up? I did it with him and I put it on the website and tried to like, oh, say, I see, like I see. Hey, got it. This, got it. this is a fake. He also got interviewed by a bunch of uh, publications, you know, because they would contact me, you know, just like what you did when you contacted the force.net to get in touch with me. Publications would contact TFN and they would route it to me and then I would route it to the directors to get, you know, to get, you know, say, hey, so and so wants to have an interview with you. So, yeah, so we, we had to explain for the next few months, you know, that this is fake. This is and he and he broke down shot by shot what he did um, and how he did it. Wow. And so I learned never to forget the watermark again. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you never had any trouble remembering after that incident. No, it was funny. Yeah. I mean, we all we were, we were all laughing, but uh, I think that was really the first indicator of how powerful fan films were becoming, even in Hollywood, you know, that. Here's, you know, San Diego Comic-Con, which was really starting to ramp up, um, you know, Hollywood was starting to take it over. Now it's taken it over completely with all the Marvel films. But, you know, at that point, it's, it was still a lot about comic book geeks. But now we, we knew that, you know, major publications were talking about this 
and that the fan film, this one fan film director making a fake film actually had an impact on a major studio, Lucasfilm, uh, at a major convention. So I think that was the, my first clue that, you know, we were doing something that actually was getting attention, uh, whether it was good attention or not, I, you know, attention, I don't know, but um, it was, you know, attention and people were really becoming aware of that. People are making stuff and post, posting it on the internet and the internet's going to be a force of, you know, of uh, video releases in the future, which now, that's, now we see. No, absolutely. No, that's certainly true. There were, um, there were a few films that you've released that were of a certain level of quality that were super impressive that I think got sort of mainstream attention. Like I remember Duality, when that... Mm -hmm when that one came out, the quality of it, like the, the effect, cause there was a lot of CG, a lot of CG environments, mm -hmm. the, the effects, the performances, the choreography was all very well done and impressive. And I remember it got a lot of mainstream press coverage because it like really, you know, that was one that for me at least really started to blur the line between fan productions and the quote unquote real thing. It was like, oh, wow. It's like a fan filmmaker can really make something that looks pretty darn close to the real thing. Yeah. And, you know, Dave is, I mean, Dave is probably the nicest guy I've ever met. Um, you know, him, him and his wife uh, and my wife uh, and I went, we went to like see one of his movies that he, uh, he, he you know, he's doing stunt uh, work in. And um, he, invited me actually invited me up there and i was actually going to be in it um in one in one of my royal guard i was going to be um we never did it because it just it wouldn't work uh, i was going to be the royal guard that was i was and there was going to be two of me uh, on both sides of the door um when uh when the uh mm. when lord rive was supposed to sh or no yeah lord rive shows up and he goes he comes inside um they just never did we just never did it but i was there and i filmed it he actually rented a small studio um, that had a, um, a, 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 I don't want to, a quarter, um, blue screen or green screen. I think it was a blue screen. Mm -hmm. Sure. Uh, right. So he had a quarter blue screen and, you know, Dave is, you know, he's a black belt and, um, I'm, I don't remember what, which, uh, style he did, but he was a black belt and he taught, um, in, in Santa Barbara and just, he's amazing, amazing, st um, stuntman. But he, you know all those you know flips and all that stuff. That was him and his uh, one of his best students uh, doing that kind of stuff. So yeah, when they brought they brought that uh, that athletic ability, and then Dave and uh, his, uh, his partner Mark uh, were learning you know how to do special effects and um, you know three D models and After Effects. You know they were big time into the into the Apple because you know, obviously Apple was was huge at that point. Um, mm. So he was showing, he showed me some of the stuff he was working on. And I don't know if it was lightweight. I don't remember which uh, 3D program he used, but he was showing me like, hey, I'm learning. He learned all this stuff by himself and self-taught. And, you know, the, I mean, the, the film itself, the release of it speaks for itself of, no, uh, of his talents. And, and again, what he did, he took, he had a, an ability uh, at an exceptional level, you know, his athleticism. And he learned other things as a fan and made it an incredible short fan film. Yeah, well, that's something really interesting. I think people make fan films for different reasons. And one of them, I feel like, I don't want to say this with any negative connotations, because I think it's really smart. But I feel like, you know, a lot of people would make a fan film as like a showcase for what they were capable of. Mm -hmm. 
uh, to use as either like a demo reel or like as a part of a mm -hmm. show reel to get professional work or like to help start their careers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and absolutely. And, and several of those guys did. You know, the Batman versus Predator, you know, Duality, the anonymous director, you know, even in, you know, even uh, Joe Monroe and NightQuest, even though, mm -hmm. you know, they were in the industry. Now they, they had something, a de another demo reel says, hey, I can do this. You know, right. Uh, I think for several of them, it was more than they were, you know, doing on a day to day basis. Maybe they were just like, you know, because, you know, it's all broken down. Each, you know, position is broken down to individual little parts and you only get to do your little part. Right. But exactly. Now, you know, they show that I went from I took a film and made it from start to finish, you know, and, you know, we did the lighting, you know, we did the audio editing, you know, special effects, you know, they could they could show that they could they're multifaceted and could do something and see it to completion. And, and you and I can both agree, you know, they finished something, you know, yeah, that's where hard. It's hard, hard to do. To do. <laughs> and th that's impressive. So, but to, and to have a two, three minute, five minute demo reel for your next job. I mean, I, I can see why people did it. And I think it was, it's a, it was a really smart way to promote yourself. No, absolutely. So why did you eventually decide to bow out and retire from TFN fan films? So obviously into episode three comes around, things have started to change. IGN was, you know, was complaining to us at times, you know, I was kind of getting tired of them listening to them complain about the bandwidth of TFN fan films. I mean, I understood why. I mean, it's, it's, it's business. Um, also remember, uh, I think it was, was it Oh four Oh three, uh, Adam films came out with their star oh, Wars. Adam films. Right. They did the, um, official the, fan films awards or something like that. The official fan film awards. Right. Right. But they had the restrictions that nothing copyright could be involved. Because you had so it had to be parodies, and you know you couldn't use Star, uh, you could use limited Star Wars music and effects and stuff. And, you know, and Lucasfilm approved certain things. And yeah, I remember like they had like a resources page or something with like mm -hmm. a small number of approved sound effects from the films that you could use and and things and things like that. So you could use some, but it was a very limited selection of what you could use. Yeah, and then and one of the requirements is also that Adams Films had to host it. So we started losing some films. And a few of ours went over there. And at this point, I started realizing that we are now competing against the big guys and we're not going to win. Um, and also, you know, and as, as these films get bigger and bigger, um, hosting is going to be a, a bigger problem. Uh, you know, band, bandwidth is always going to be a problem. Um, you know, the next time I bring up the next Sins of the Jedi, I bring up is going to cause bandwidth problems. And I just didn't want to deal with it anymore. Plus, I you know I'd just been married, uh, in uh, a few years earlier, and you know I, I wanted to get do more with my career, so I I went back to school, um, you know to get my degree, uh, so it just it just seemed like it was the right time to do it. Um, had again had a YouTube been around, you know, really been a big thing then, I probably would have stayed for at least a few more years, because uh, I wouldn't have those those major issues. I wouldn't have to listen to IGN. Sure, uh, I mean. I'm glad that I'm glad they hosted us. I mean, I, I can't thank them enough for that. But, uh, you know, the, I, those concerns, that's not why I got into it. I wanted to do it to just make good fan films and be a, you know, a place for people to make fan films. Now I was getting into all the administrative stuff of it, which I just really didn't like. And um, I had a lot of other things, you know, when you're, you know, with a young wife and, um, you know, you want to have kids and stuff like that, you, you have to have other priorities. And I took those priorities no, and, for sure. and, and, and walked away. No, that makes sense. Um, what sort of a life did TFN fan films have after you left? 
um, it, it's uh, it fizzled. Out. It, it started yeah. petering out, and also because remember, Star Wars interest in Star Wars was major decline, major decline after Episode Three, because nobody thought. Well, yeah, I mean, that was supposed pandemic. to be it. I mean, that yeah. was supposed to be it. It sounds crazy, uh, you know. Now, when we have a brand new hour of Star Wars on our TV screens every week year round, now, mm-hmm. but but yeah, like that was supposed to be all there was at the time, and as far as we knew, like that that was true. Yeah. So, but I mean, it, it still had an impact on. Um, the video uh, effects industry because I'm trying to remember what the guy's name is Andrew Kramer. Oh yeah. Right. Yes. Andrew Kramer. Yeah. He, he built his own lightsaber plugin for, mm-hmm. for his website. And then he talked to the TFN fan films people and they corrected some of, and he did a part two and you can actually, if you go to his website and he says, Hey, I talked to TFN fan films and they corrected, you know, and they said, you have to round, you know, the saber at this, these points and you know, how the, and stuff like that. So he made some corrections based on the experts oh, wow. telling him. And, and cool. he's a uh, you know he you know he's done video effects for Star for Star Trek you know the the new one the JJ Abrams. Um, no, and I think you know. probably Star Wars as well at this point uh, because I know he worked on a lot of JJ Abrams stuff. Like I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if he did something. So even the professionals are still taught. We're talking to a bunch of fans on how yeah. to do something correct. Yeah. No, that's great. Um, so during our email correspondence, when I was setting up this interview, uh, you mentioned a bunch of anecdotes, um, most of which you covered, but there was <laughs> one that I'm really curious to ask you about if you're comfortable talking about it, but you mentioned somebody sent you a death threat at one point yeah. while you happened were twice. running CFN. It happened yeah, twice. Happened, happened twice. Why, forgive me, but why in the name of all that is good would somebody send you a death threat? So remember again, you know, we've talked and, you know, TFN found films at that time was the place. If you wanted to, your film to be seen, that's really where you had to be. Um, I didn't intend for that to happen. You know, that wasn't my intention, but it, that's what happened. And um, it, like I said earlier, I, I felt really bad rejecting people. The first one I think was a person, cause I, I used to get uh, people arguing with me, like, why did you take this? You know, you took so-and-so's film, mine's better, you know, I have better effects or, you know, stuff like that. And again, that goes back to me. Like if you repeated the same thing over and over again, I don't really want your film because we already have something like it. Um, right. But some of these, some folks didn't take, don't like no for an answer. And, you know, I, I tried to keep it civil and tried not to argue with anybody for too long. Um, eventually I was just have to cut it off. But I think the first time was because I told somebody no. And I, um, and I don't, I don't remember who it was. I don't remember which film it was or anything like that. So um, I don't hold it against him, but um, it freaked out my wife, of course, um, because it's, she's like, you're doing this as a, you know, on, on a free basis as a fan and people are sending you death threats. Um, did I take it seriously? Not really, but I, I was really, I was cognizant of what I was saying to people and how people would react. Um, sure. And so I talked to my crew and you know, I'm like, Hey, you guys just be very careful. Don't say things to antagonize anybody, you know, don't escalate anything. Um, the second time it happened was a few months later. That time I think it was somebody was just screwing around. Um, it could have been the same person that just wanted attention again, but, um, I just pretty much blew that one off. But the fact that somebody sent it to somebody who was just trying to run a website, um, has stuck with me and. Yeah, I can only imagine. Like, that's just so wild. Like, how unhinged do you have to be to threaten somebody's life over a fan film? Like, 
I mean, some of these people put a lot of money into these. I mean, and well, that's and true. That's a good point. Even a thousand dollars for some of these folks were, you know, which is nothing for a film, you know, to, you know, to rent lights, rent, you know, a video camera and, you know, try to, you know, even just build at that time, like a G4 Mac, you know, cause you had to have SCSI drives. Cause that was the only thing fast enough to process video. That could be two, two thousand, three thousand dollars as it is. And yeah, you get rejected by the, the hoster. The place. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I can understand the frustration. And I said, I felt really bad about doing it, but there were things in the background that a lot of people didn't know about that we had to be aware of. For sure. Well, I'm sorry that you had to experience that. It doesn't seem like either one of them was a very serious threat, but it's just it's just sort of mind boggling that, that, that somebody yeah. would take it there. But um, this is kind of a broader question, and you've probably heard this at some point. I think some people often wonder, why make a Star Wars fan film? Like, why not spend all that effort and money making something original? You know, I'm just wondering if you have ever heard that or like what your response would be to that sort of a question. We heard quite a bit. And when I would interv- do interviews with either local media or sometimes with newspapers and stuff, it, that question actually would come up quite a bit. I'm like, why do people do this? Um, you know, of course, you know, like, you and I are sitting here, you know, we love Star Wars. Yeah. Um, Star Wars <laughs> shaped, whether you are a filmmaker, you know, whether you are, you were a cowboy at the time, you like to, you know, dress up in costumes. Star Wars affected, yes, as children of the 80s, uh, 70s and 80s, you know, Star Wars affected us in major ways. And it drove us in a lot of, you know, in, in our lives, much like Star Trek did for the, for our, you know, either our parents or older siblings. So the chance to play in the world and not get not get busted for doing it. I mean, that was probably <laughs> one of the big reasons, you know, because a lot of these guys probably would have done Star Trek fan films if they could have, but Paramount wouldn't let them do it. Um, so it was a chance to play in a, in a in somebody's sandbox that you weren't supposed to be there, but they're not going to call the cops on you. And so you got, you got to do some things. You know, I think I can do a better lightsaber fight than, you know, episode four, five, and six and one. Or, you know, I, you know, we can do stuff with you know, stormtroopers, you know, make things from the point of view of the stormtroopers. So, you know, like imps, like the, there was that, that fan film imps and also, of, of course, troops. So it's just you do things, you know, you could do things from a different point of view. You know, episode two and episode three weren't out yet for a lot of this time. So we didn't actually get to see, you know, what the Jedi Council and what the, you know, the Jedi life really was. So we could, you know, people were doing stuff like that or just take it completely different. And, you know, Star Wars in the real world, like PA Wars, you know, a PA versus his evil Sith director. You get to explore a world with your imagination. You're not limited by what just George Lucas thought. But even look at today. I mean, we, we can ask the same question of modern, of Hollywood. Why do you keep traipsing over the same things over and over again instead of making something new? Because it's A, it's easy. It's familiar. And it's, you know, a lot of times people just want to see themselves in that universe. For sure. And also, you know, something that also applies to fan fiction, like to, to just mm-hmm. um, written stories. It's also, it's, it's absolutely everything you said, but there's also something as well. Like if you want to be a filmmaker or do something under the umbrella of the larger filmmaking process, or if you want, mm-hmm. if you want to be a writer, like one of the hardest things to do is to come up with that great idea, right? You know, staring at the blank white <laughs> page is one of the hardest lifts to get over. And something that either fan films or fan fiction allows you to do is that it allows you to practice your craft, sort of removing that starting obstacle, right? Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like, you know, you know this world, you know these characters, you know what it's supposed to look like, or you know, mm-hmm. like how you want to tweak it. 
and it's an opportunity to practice figuring out how to make a film or how to write a story, how to write good dialogue or good characters or like how to choose your camera angles or how to do special effects. It's just the existence of that sandbox allows you to flex your muscles and to experiment in a way that I think is less intimidating than having to come up with something whole cloth from nothing. And, you know, something that we've talked about in some of the other episodes that we've done, you know, George Lucas, he intentionally set out to create a modern mythology or like a modern mythological framework and something that, you know, mythology serves a function in a culture and society. And it's mm -hmm. sort of, we have these archetypes and these ideas in the back of our minds all the time. And we express ourselves through retelling and reinterpreting those ideas. So it makes sense to me that when wanting to express themselves, people would reach for those mythic images and mythic ideas. And Mm -hmm. You know, the existence of fan films and this desire for people to make their own fan films and to use the themes and language and characters and settings of Star Wars to tell their own stories and express themselves creatively, I think, is a testament to how successful that actually was. And, and, and Star Trek and, you know, Star Wars, uh, Doctor Who. One of the, I think that the attractions to those genres and th those, you know, fandoms, and, you know, especially when we get into fan films, is it's, when you're writing it, it's safe. It's, you know, it, right. if you were, and, and that was one of that, and you, you go back to like, what was I looking for? One of the requirements I had is you could not do anything that Star Wars wouldn't do. You, you know, hell was probably the only thing, the only thing you're going to say because they said it in Empire Strikes Back. In Empire Strikes Back, right? Exactly. That's as far <laughs> as you're going to get. But you know, Star Trek, they did, you know, modern Star Trek obviously is a little bit different. But you know, Doctor Who, same kind of thing. So when you're writing, you're right. You can write and stay true to the universe and write for everybody, and or you, you know, you can act for everybody, and it, so it's a very wide audience. So you're not narrowing yourself to. Hey, you know, if I'm going to do a John Wick type fan film, you have a very narrow and you're going to be doing very certain things. And, you know, A, you're probably never going to get on YouTube because, you know, they're going to strike you um, for the, right. you know, for, for violence, that kind of stuff. So uh, with Star Wars, you know, everything was safe, you know, being shot with the blaster, being cut with a lightsaber, um, generally, um, except, you know, really for two instances, you know, Jango Fett and the, uh, the bar scene in episode four. Um, you right. know, the lightsaber is a clean cut and it's, you know, there's not much to it. So you could do stuff like that and you don't, you don't need squibs, you know, and you don't have to do anything f for the blood and gore, um, or, and you don't have to deal with language. So I, I think that just, that kind of attracts it to a lot more people that maybe not normally would do films or writing for this kind of stuff, but they, you know, they can feel included on in this and they can do it because, and they can say, I can make a film that I can show my parents or I could show my kids, you know, in 20 years, you know, that kind of thing. And I think that was really attractive for some. How, how have fan films changed in the last 20 or so years, do you think? That's a good question. I think they have been diminished quite a bit because of Disney Plus, honestly. Um, what, like you said, there's a TV show now. You can get Star Wars every, every week. You don't have to wait for the next fan film to come out. I think that's had a diminishing effect on expectations of what a fan film could could be. 
You know, can mm. the next you know person make a next great film that's I really anticipate it. I'm going to get to see Darth Vader again. Or, oh, hey, we're going to see, you know, Boba Fett do something other than stand around and get killed in Return of the Jedi. You know, that kind of stuff. Um, so the, I think the fans, effect, it's, it's it's been greatly decreased. We do appreciate what the Lucasfilm folks have done. Um, you know, and they have taken things, I think, in, new, in really good new steps. It's, uh, I think they've had some great hits, some great falls, but it's the same thing with fan films. Some of them were fantastic. Some of them were not. They just paid a lot more for it. Um, right. So... <laughs> I, I would like to say, you know, I'd, I'd like to hope that some of that influence of the fandom doing these new stories would have influenced some of these folks from, who are doing Disney Plus stories. Because like even Kevin Rubio, he did uh, Tag and Bink. It was a comic. They were actually supposed to show up in the Han Solo movie. They got cut, unfortunately. You know, he's a professional, obviously. But here's a guy who did a you know Star Wars fan film. Now, you know, his characters could have been in a major motion picture, you know, Dave Cumber, obviously, said he's you know he's gone to do major stunt work. So I mean, I haven't seen anything that says that's a a move he did in in duality. I haven't seen anything like that. But I would like to see that you know, hey, these fan films had an influence on the not massive films, but on the smaller Disney Plus type films or TV shows. No, absolutely. I mean. Uh, you look at all the Disney Plus shows in different ways, and like in their approach, it seems is to give each one like its own sort of identity, like distinct mm -hmm. identity, and explore a different part of the Star Wars universe or do something different stylistically. And, mm -hmm. and it's that kind of experimentation with like different perspectives and different styles that really you first saw with with fan films in many ways. I mean, that's what it reminds me of. Like I remember, I don't remember if it was The Mandalorian or the Obi-Wan Kenobi show, but I remember reading some tweet and they were like, it just looks like a big budget fan film or something. And I was <laughs> like, they meant that in a derisive way, but I read that and I was like, well, like what constitutes a fan film? It's, you know, I mean, like I would be proud of that in a certain, yeah. in a certain way. Fan John and Dave are me, fans. John and Dave are both fans. I mean, yes, th right. They're, yes, they're, they're paid. That's, I mean, they're, they're yeah. majorly, they're paid and, you know, they're also, you know, big time directors, but they're fans. And so they're making, you know, they're putting their visions to, and, you know, obviously you know, the different directors and stuff like that. So, I mean, in ways it is, they are fan films with the blessings of Lucasfilm. So right. it, it, yeah. And like you said, like uh, Mandalorian in the, the last episodes, you know, you had this with uh, Jason Sadokas and that other guy from SNL, you're seeing the point of view from scout troopers. That scene was like straight out of troops. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that could have easily been in troops. And those guys just screwing around, you know, shooting the cans. They can't hit anything, which we, you know, we did kind of see even in troops when they're trying to shoot that Jawa that, uh, right. you know, that's fleeing. Right. That I think that ha has had an influence. So that's why I think the, the Disney Plus thing has, where it's been growing, the amateur films, I think are, you know, their influence is going to be less and less, you know, and, and people are just are, are going to be less likely to do it. Now they may move to other, other fandoms. Um, I can definitely see that, but uh, I think in the, in the star Wars um, circle, there's just kind of less incentive to do it. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Uh, like I was just trying to do a little bit of research before recording this, just to re-familiarize myself with some names and some stuff. And I came upon an interview with some fan filmmaker on a website and uh, he was asked the question, like, why do you think there are so many Star Wars fan films? And his answer was, well, it's because there's not a lot of new Star Wars, right? So, and people want to mm -hmm. see it. And so there's that thirst, that demand, and like we're sort of filling that desire for more Star Wars. And, you know, we don't 
seem to have that issue anymore. <laughs> yeah, and we're seeing that now, especially with the with, with so many shows covering different time periods. Could you, you know from two thousand to two thousand five? By far, most of our stories were set either pre Star Wars, you know, like during the Purge, which we you know we really haven't gotten to until recently, or you know it was like after Star Wars, or so it was it was covering time periods that had never been covered in the in the in three movies or actually four because um, of uh, Episode One. So it was time periods that just were never covered. Now you're seeing Disney Plus take take that role, and they're covering t- other time periods. So now, you know, now they're even going to go back to, you know, uh, where, you know, they're going to do Knights of the Old Republic. You Mm. know, that could have been a great fan film, but it's probably going to be even a better movie because that was a fan, you know, that's fantastic writing. It was a great game. So that's, you know, that's, I think uh, it's, it's going to get really hard if somebody wants to say, Hey, I'm going to do a fan film today. I think it's going to be a lot harder to do. One of the last things I was going to ask you is, like I mentioned, I went to the force.net fan film section and I wanted to watch some of these old fan films that I remembered. And again, like I said, a lot of the links are broken. I was wondering, do you think someone would ever sort of make like a YouTube channel, like fan film archive or something like a fan film theater again, and kind of like recollect all of these old fan films? just to make them viewable someplace. Is that something even possible to do? But it sounds no, like it would no. never happen. YouTube would strike you That's because true. you're going to get because mu- you're going to get music copyrighted. It, it, even if Lucasfilm doesn't care, you're going to get music copyrighted and you're going to get struck right. and you're going to be you're going to be shut down. That's that. That's why where when we did fan films, we were at the, the perfect time. You know, granted, it was in the infancy of, of computer graphics, uh, special effects at home, but we were at the perfect time. Nowadays, you would never get away with it. Um, because again, you're still gonna have to host it somewhere, but right. where, you know, ever, and everybody's using, you know, YouTube or, uh, one of those guys and they're gonna, they're gonna strike you. Um, so it's, it's, I think it would be more hassle now than it was back then, even with dealing with IGN, um, it was still, you know, it's still, it was still the wild west on the internet at that point, which where nowadays it's heavily regulated, especially in the media, um, sure. sphere, which, and I don't think, I don't, you know. I just don't think YouTube would ever allow it. Think about Adam's films. You couldn't use Lucasfilm music. So you had to use other types of music. Duality had to actually take its music off to be on that. So I think it's just, it's a, it's a, you're going to have an IP nightmare. Honestly, it's, I just don't think it's worth it. I think fan films in its, the way we did it is long gone. It's, I, I just yeah. don't think it'll, it'll ever happen again. Um, no, I I'm, think you're right. I'm very happy to be, I'm glad to be a part of it and having a major role in it. I had a great time doing it. I think a lot of people had fun doing it, um, but I just don't see us ever getting there again. Well, Jeff, unless there's something that you want to leave the audience with, I really had a wonderful time learning a lot from you and also reminiscing about what was a very special moment for fandom and for young filmmakers and Star Wars fans. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I didn't... I didn't make fan films happen. I had a role in it and I played the curator, as you said, I ran the website, but without the fan filmmakers and also without the fans themselves, uh, I was just one guy, but it was these people who spent a lot of money on their films, a lot of time and a lot of the fans who supported them and were, like you said, you, you know, eagerly awaiting a lot of these fan films. Without them, this never would have worked. So I. To me, the fan film community from that time period was the perfect fandom, and I I, I miss it. But that at that time period, it's I can think about it and it actually makes me smile. Even with all the work that it was, that was true love for Star Wars, and I can't thank those people that um, spent so much time on the site enough for what they did, and you know the success they gave us. 
Well, thank you, Jeff, for being willing to talk to me and for being so generous with your time. I really had a lot of fun having this conversation with you. So thank you very, very much. No, I appreciate it. It's uh, obviously, as I told you, it's been a long time since I've actually talked about this. And a lot of people don't know a lot of the stuff that happened in the background. So it's nice to finally be able to share some of the the funny things that happened over the years and the good and the bad that happened. But it's you, you brought about a lot of the memories as well. And so now, it, like you said, I'm going to probably have to go see if I, what uh, films I have and crack a few open and, see, uh, and watch them again. <laughs> I wish I could join you. But um, so thanks again, Jeff. And for anyone listening, if you liked what you heard, please visit trashcompod.com where we have transcripts of this episode and all our other episodes. And we are trashcompod across all social media. And we will see you on the next one. 